Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the one true podcast and the only podcast that is six Canada's worth of podcasts. Six Canada's? Six Canada's. What the hell that's does that how, mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get to it later, but that's how many uh, countries worth of carbon pollution would be uh, dumped in the atmosphere if Trump's energy plan goes into effect. If he wins the election. Excellent. Oh, it's a political podcast. What does that it's have to do a with religion? Political podcast. <laughs> Aren't we a religion podcast? I thought we were a religion podcast. This is a special election day podcast. Look, we're not going to tell you who to vote for, um, except, you know, don't vote for Trump. We just tell you who not to vote for. For God's sakes, don't vote for Trump. Or Johnson. <clears throat> or Stein. Or maybe McMullen. No, Depends McMullen's on. out too. Now, Chuck, I made an environmental joke because joining us today, we have a guest. A His guest? name's Matt Pichenza. Yeah. Matt Pichenza, he's the policy director. I hope I got that right first. You, you did not get it right. I, nice I got it right or I got it wrong? Wrong, wrong. Damn it. What are you? So I am the executive director of Heal Utah, which is a, an environmental nonprofit advocacy organization based uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, you're the executive director. Damn it. I'm, I'm the boss, man. Is there a policy director? It was my title, actually, for the first roughly three years, and then my boss left, and I, I assumed the throne, and, and yes, uh, my coworker Ashley is now the policy director. No, I, was, I was right still. Um, yeah, for our Utah listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about HEAL, what they do in the area, what, what their point, what do you do anyway? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we are... We are a relatively uh, traditional kind of environmental group. Uh, we work primarily on clean air and clean energy issues. And for folks who do live in northern Utah, you know, we have this uh, air pollution problem. If you don't live here, it, it tends to come as a surprise to people. I think people think of Utah and they think of, you know, beautiful mountains and beautiful deserts. And, and we have all that. But we also have uh, a bunch of people trapped in valleys where when uh, pollution builds up from our cars and our buildings and our industry, it can get pretty gnarly. And so uh, HEAL is one of the organizations that kind of fights for good public policy to try to reduce the emissions that cause air pollution. And then the second big thing we work on is something that I would say virtually every environmental group, you know, if not in the United States, probably the entire world works on, which is everything relating to climate change and clean energy and trying to transition away from fossil fuels. So those are the big two things we do. We uh, we're advocates. We kind of, you know, suggest policies and get involved in the legislature and do stuff in regulatory agencies and all that kind of thing. So it's a. Uh, you know, not a, a fairly, you know, if you've heard of a small to mid-sized environmental group, we're, we're one of those and proud of our accomplishments and been around in northern Utah for about uh, nearly 20 years. Now, since this is our election special, does HEAL endorse candidates or do they have favorites, I guess you could say? Yeah, so, so you know, uh, there's actually tax law, which regulates that we can't do that. And so it gets kind of complicated, ah. but... Advocacy organizations, um, if they want to accept charitable contributions, which we do, uh, right. cannot um, uh, endorse candidates. We can have strong opinions about issues, and we've got you know a long, long list of those. Um, and we can urge people to vote, and we certainly do that. But we can't say vote for that person, you know, vote for that woman, vote for that man. We can't endorse. We can't uh, make contributions.
contributions, but we certainly can be political and issue oriented and have strong opinions about things, just not tell you who to vote for. Okay, so that, stuff. you're, you're going to get their 501c <laughs> status revoked. I know. I was, Good job. All that stuff in the beginning was just, uh, that was all the opinion of irreligiosity <laughs> and, not, and not necessarily heal Utah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have to be careful there. But it's, you know, I mean, I think people tend to know what our opinion is on things. And, you know, I, I don't mind acknowledging, you know, the vast majority of our supporters would be, you know, liberals, progressives. And, you know, I'm assuming a pretty significant chunk of them vote Democrats. But but I should say, to be totally fair, like with within the Utah state legislature, there's terrific Republicans and, you know, who we work closely with. They care a whole bunch about air pollution. They'd like to see more clean energy. So, you know. By and large, in this country, environmental issues do kind of belong to Democrats. But the truth is, there's decent Republicans, and we'll work with them too. Well, that's that's heartening to hear. Now, as a, I guess you're a nonprofit group, right? Is that a 501c, Chuck? Whatever you said. Uh, the just... 50, the 501c part is whether you can be political or not. You can be oh. a nonprofit that endorses candidates. You just have a different kind of tax status. That's called 501c4. And then when people donate to that, it's not tax deductible. It's political activity. Ah, you know, okay. It's similar. You know, you can make a, you can write a big old check to Donald Trump, which, you know, if you do, you probably ought to go in for an MRI. But you could do that. Um, but that would not be tax deductible, <laughs> thankfully. Right. But if you make a contribution to a nonprofit organization, it's tax deductible. So that's what it, it's just a stupid tax thing that keeps us from oh. doing. Yeah. Plus, these guys well, don't need to pay taxes on the stuff that they get, right? As long as they don't endorse a political candidate or engage in lots of political activity, I think. That is true. We are exempt from things like sales taxes. Um, you know, we buy relatively little. You know, our main expenses are salary and rent and things like that. But every now and then we file some stupid form with the state of Utah and, you know, get a check for $19 back. But um, but yeah, I think a bigger operation, like if we were a food bank buying tens of thousands of dollars worth of food, you know, that would add up. That would be legitimate that we weren't paying taxes on that. For Heal, it's, it's a relatively minor issue, but, but that is true. Well, you know, tax groups, not being political seems uh, to make sense. I do have a, a short news story here uh, about one, though, that is, as we know, like churches are tax exempt, right? The opposite side of that is that they're not supposed to, how would you say it, Chuck? Not be political, but not supposed to tell people how to vote? Same thing. You can't endorse a political candidate and you cannot, I think that the, the um, wording of the statute says you cannot spend a significant portion of your time uh, in political causes. Could you distribute a flyer amongst your uh, your flock that says it's a mortal sin to vote Democrat? Yes, as long as you don't endorse a specific candidate. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Immaculate Conception Catholic Church uh, in Old Town, San Diego. Uh, distributed flyers that it's a mortal sin to vote Democrat. And also, just as a warning, immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell. That's because they got rid of uh, limbo. Isn't that right, recently? So you don't go into a state of limbo or purgatory. Where They still probably have purgatory. I can't. They can't just get rid of that. I can't keep up with all this (laughs) fiction stuff, you know. Uh, Okay, so again... If you vote Democrat and you die right after you vote, you go straight to hell. Is that is that what it's? That's what they're saying. Okay. Um, two weeks after that, they did send out a second flyer that mentioned Clinton by name. Oh. And with the claim that she was under influenced by Satan. Oh, okay. That's all right. 
So now I'm thinking that's probably true. It might be coming up above, but yeah, of course it's true. <laughs> and was that a that's a Catholic church, Matt? Yeah, it's a Catholic church. Now, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird, really, because I mean, I would say obviously we have churches in this country that heavily identify with one political party or the other. Catholics are probably, to be fair, the most evenly divided. Because you definitely have a whole bunch of liberal Catholics who, you know, care oh, yeah. about the poor and, you know, they're following in the footsteps of Mother Teresa and want to wash the feet of, you know, all the people out there who've got stinky feet. And um, yeah. and then you have obviously a tremendous number of Latinos of, you know, Hispanic Americans who are Catholic and, and overwhelmingly, you know, those folks vote Democrat. So it's one of the true churches, which is probably, to be fair, like relatively nonpartisan that you have a nice mix. Oh, yeah. This wasn't, but I guess you just got one priest who's an asshole in San Diego, huh? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the Catholic Church, you know. Yeah, this was yeah. one place. Now, he did say that um, the flyer wasn't reviewed by him and went a little beyond the quote-unquote approved message. He said, I would never tell anyone to vote this or vote that, but... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, I lost part. I was doing. In their defense, Matt, they didn't. They just said simply you would go straight to hell if you voted Democrat. Yeah. Well, the other cool thing is the flyer burst into flames, which I, I think is kind of an amazing touch. A cool trick. Uh, yeah, I mean, Pope Francis did say, um, study the proposals well and pray and choose in conscience. He did not He did not say who would be the mortal sin, <laughs> who voting for would be considered a sin. But I think I know who he means. It's we did. A, we had a bit of a, didn't we have a Trump-Francis standoff about six or nine months ago? That was kind of fun. Did we? Did he say? Oh yeah, he said. What did he say about the Pope? He's like, I think like, it was. What does he know? <laughs> I think it was when the Pope came to America, and the Pope. I think it, it was when Trump was making noises about you know keeping out large you know groups of people from coming to America, and the Pope said responded, issuing some statement saying like you know we love all our brothers and sisters, and then you know good old Trump got on Twitter and said like tell that fat bastard keep his mouth shut or whatever he said, and you know, and that's basically politics in 2016. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind yeah, of think, reasonable, uh, level-headed uh, Twitter post that we've come to expect from our presidential <laughs> candidates. Yeah. So uh, since you're with an environmental group, Matt, um, what do you get, what do you guys think of the candidates' stances on environmental issues like climate change or clean water or? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that the single most disheartening thing is is how little anyone is talking about it. Um, you know, we, we just have, I think everyone realizes that, you know, pays any attention to the news or reads science or, you know, is just focused on it, that the the, the reality of this warming planet and all the, the, the range of disturbing things that come with that from weather events to, you know, species being, you know, eliminated to all kinds of stuff. You know, it's just it's just literally day by day. There's just a tremendous amount of evidence and, and disturbing phenomena happening. You know, despite that, I think a relatively well-known fact to people is that there was not a single question asked about climate change in any of the three debates. Um, funny enough, the only even glancing reference to it came from the delightful Ken Bone. Um, Ken Bone. And- and whether I believe in God or not, I'm not sure. But if I do believe in God, the fact that that guy's name is Ken Bone would definitely, uh, you know, <laughs> tip me in that direction. That's proof. So uh, Ken Bone asked a relatively dumb question, to be honest, about, you know, lot, the loss of coal jobs. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's a legitimate issue. You know, he's got the right to ask it. But that, I think, prompted Trump to make some vague reference to climate. And, and Hillary might have 
said something as well. But that was literally the only mention in any of the three debates of of what you know. If it isn't the single biggest issue facing humanity, it's got to be near the top. So that's unfortunate how how little of an issue it's been. But you know, once you take if you take your time and go to their websites or read their position things or you know various newspapers asking questions and they answer it, you know, you basically have Hillary saying it's important we must act on it. I will continue to incentivize clean energy and will continue to you know push us in the right direction. And then you have Trump essentially saying kind of the mainstream Republican position at this point, which is which is not a flat out denial of the problem that they have kind of moved beyond that. But it's essentially that the solutions to potentially address it. Uh, are too costly and would cripple the economy and therefore, you know, they're not worth investing in. And so, um, you know, the, the, the notion is effectively, well, this might be happening. It might not be, but there's a lot of uncertainty and dealing with it is too expensive. And so we're just not going to deal with it. So that, that is a, a somewhat crude, but I think a fairly accurate, uh, assessment of what, you know, the Trump campaign would be saying. So it's a pretty stark difference. And if, if folks do care about climate change and they do care about clean energy, then I, I think the choice between those two candidates would be quite clear on that front. Yeah, there there was, uh, like, I don't know if you had a sciencedebate.org, but they gave a list of questions to the candidates. And one of them was about climate change. Uh, the question was, was phrased, Earth's climate is changing and political discussions become divided over both the science and the best response. What are your views on climate change? How would your administration act on those views? Uh, Clinton's answer was pretty good, actually, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, when it comes to climate change, the science is crystal clear. I don't have to read her whole answer, but basically it says, like, yes, climate change is happening. We're responsible. And here's some ideas I have for that. Uh, Trump's answer was there's still much that needs to be investigated in the field of, quote, climate change, scare quotes. Perhaps the best use of our limited financial resources should be in dealing with making sure that every person in the world has clean water and focus on eliminating lingering diseases around the world like malaria. Those things are related, Trump. <laughs> uh, focus on ever increased food production to keep pace with a growing world population and developing energy sources and power production that alleviates the need for dependence of fossil fuels. That part's not bad. Well, no, Matt, uh, I thought it was pretty brave to put the climate change in quotes and oh, yeah. call out the people who believe in the hoax of climate change. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, he, he's very good at kind of, you know, giving a nod to to kind of the more fringy elements of his party to make them feel satisfied while also not yeah. seeming totally off the rocker. You know, the interesting phenomenon about Trump, I mean, there's, you know, 600 interesting things about him and on some level we're all sick of talking about it, but – you know, 80% of Trump is mainstream Republican, right? 80% of it is just, you know, no different than Mitt Romney. And, and this would be a great example. You know, I think the environmental stuff, there's nothing particularly interesting or unusual about it. it it's just where the Republican Party is today. You know, where he deviates from the party is stuff like free trade, right? And his stuff... Um, you know, where he'll talk about uh, infrastructure and the need to rebuild infrastructure or um, there's some other examples. So, so there's parts where he's kind of unusual. But honestly, when it comes to environmental issues, it's just the same nonsense about limited regulation and government shouldn't pick winners and losers. And we need, you know, fossil fuels are at the heart of the energy economy and, and just stuff that is tired talking points that don't really get us where we need to go. Um, so that's just the sad truth of it. But ultimately, I'd, I'd come back to where I started, which is, you know, if nothing else, isn't it just depressing as hell that we're not even talking about it? That is for me. I think Trump can rest assured, though, that 
most of his supporters are not interested in going to science debate and reading answers about science problems. It's just uh, a confirmation. We don't typically deal with this stuff until it is right in our faces right now. Climate change is going to affect us in maybe 20 years, 30 years, certainly by 50 years. But right now, eh, it's just a little warmer summers than usual. Yeah, we get a yeah. hurricane or two. A couple, so cold outside. A couple cities have flooded. Yeah. Now, the, you guys might yeah, not I, know this, but there are I, two other candidates that are running. Um, Johnson three, and Matt, three. Oh, sorry. Three candidates. Yeah, right. One might win Utah. That would be amazing. I'd love to see that. Uh, what, why the hell not? Uh, Johnson Johnson admits climate change is occurring. His his answer is very libertarian, though, is that the market can take care of it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about how, that. How does the market take care of climate change? Uh, uh, did it get into any specifics on that? Uh, no, it just does, Chuck. Mark's does. the market. The I mean, I would say I'm not I'm not a particularly big Gary Johnson fan and, and don't I'm a big too a little too much of a fan of kind of safety nets and helping out the less fortunate to really like libertarians. But I would say I read a really good profile of him once where he actually said quite clearly the one area where markets can't do it is environmentalism. Like I actually read something once where he said that. And I guess he was governor of where again? New Mexico, right? Uh, and some state, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure New Mexico. And I actually, I, I, I've actually read that if you were to look at his environmental record as a governor, it wasn't that bad. So there may be a whole bunch of reasons to not be a Gary Jansen fan. I'm certainly embrace a few of those, but this yeah. might be one area where he's not quite as bad. Um, he's also well, just high. He's high all the time, <laughs> and so high. you know, dudes that are high all the time, they want to. They want to take hikes, and ultimately, you can talk them into some good environmental stuff. We just so we just get Gary nice and high, and we take him for a nice walk in the woods, and we'll be fine. Yeah, what people don't realize is when he said "What's Aleppo?" He was high at the time, and he had it went it went like this: "What's Aleppo? It's bigger than a steppo." <laughs> He said, funny. "That's the that's the new Indica brand, or I'm not good at marijuana terms, but whatever the uh, <laughs> those terms uh, are there." Aleppo sativa. I do love the fact that he literally announced at one point early on in the campaign that he had decided to stop smoking pot every day while he ran. Yes, yeah, which which I just was call. like, you know, yeah, definitely. It's uh, <laughs> in my younger years, I flirted with libertarianism as I was moving away from conservatism, uh, but. The, oh, the only candidates they could ever field were people who were like, legalize drugs, legalize drugs. And uh, none of the rest of the concern. It was mostly mostly legalized drugs, which I couldn't care less about at the time. Yeah, but for, for Gary, uh, his answer was about, basically he said he views with a skeptical eye any attempts to curtail economic activity because those activities that contribute to climate change also contribute to health and prosperity. Um, and also, he believes a motivated, informed market will demand efficiency and reduce greenhouse gases. That's how it works, Chuck. Exactly we are the motivated because these uh, massive corporations uh, don't hold all the strings, right? <laughs> I wonder what his uh, this sort of naive version of a free market is, where people like Exxon and Apple and all, don't enjoy these massive privileges where they can shape the market forces themselves. Um, I don't know. So <laughs> again, maybe he's high all the time. I don't know. It certainly seems like libertarian candidates of the past have been high all the time. 
And I don't, you know, I don't, I won't pretend to know the, uh, Mr. Johnson's policies from A to Z, but, you know, the one way the market could work when it comes to this stuff is if you price carbon properly, right? And so, you know, there's a whole bunch of economic theory behind this, but basically yeah. the, the fundamental problem with things like burning fossil fuels and, and the like is that there are, you know, and time for a big fancy word, folks, but there are something called externalities. And those are costs that are born when you do an activity, but they're not priced into the activity itself. And so, you know, when you burn coal and a child gets asthma and ends up in an emergency room, you know, we all pay for that because if that child's on, you know, some sort of uh, Medicaid or something, ultimately we're all paying a tiny bit of money to help that child be healthier. But that cost is actually coming from burning that fossil fuel. So if you can do all that fancy math and if you can crunch all the fancy numbers and say, how many people get sick and, you know, what is the true cost of climate change? And then you can price that into carbon, into the, the burning of fossil fuels. And then theoretically, things like cleaner energy become more affordable and the market can sort of adjust to that. So, you know, that's the theory. And there's a lot of very wonky policy people out there that will bore you to tears talking about carbon taxes and something called carbon fee and dividend, which is kind of an interesting approach. So I, I'm I'm enough of a kind of free market person that believes that theoretically you could integrate, you know, strong environmentalism into, you know, a sort of modern, you know, capitalistic free market system. But if you don't price those externalities and you don't price carbon, then there's no way in hell it's going to work. But those Wasn't externalities that- have to be decided upon by something that isn't the market. That's got to be studies uh, typically by the government, right, on costs or scientists or the national health organizations we have, and then imposed on the market, right? I That's mean, totally, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, you got to agree upon how to do all that math and which numbers to crunch and crunch them properly. Sound, that sounds like government overreach. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that a 90s Republican plan? Carbon. Carbon credits, carbon. You do, you do find some conservatives who buy into it. I mean, there aren't enough of them, but you know, there's a handful of them that kick around. Who, yeah. you know, uh, but um, who knows? I mean, I try to be optimistic and I try to think and that we could get there. And it feels like if you're ever going to talk conservatives and Republicans into doing something about climate change, it would involve something like that. It would involve something of saying like, "Hey, let's price this 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 cost this problem properly, and then sure, let's let the market decide." Because if you put, if you actually made coal cost as much as it should, then yeah. wind and solar would would you know rise up in the market even more than they are on their own. So you know theoretically stuff like that can work, but you know it ain't easy. Yeah, the problem is it's far too reasonable. Um, there's no hysteria involved, no end of the world uh, scenarios, so it's not going to appeal to the vast majority of Republicans. So what we need is terrorists employing <laughs> dirty coal bombs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Or exactly. <laughs> They're shipping coal in. Hey, let's take a break. Not a break, but a break from the talk just to talk to Matt for a second. He is our guest today. And because we are dirty, evil, baby eating atheists here, Matt, just give us a, a little background on your upbringing, uh, religious or not, uh, what you are now, what you care about. Who cares? But, you know. Yeah, sure thing. No, so um, I'm uh, I'm 45 years old, uh, uh, and so been uh, been on this earth for a few turns around the sun here. And Good God, um, I'm older than you. What? So, yeah, you are so a couple years older than me. I know. <laughs> I'm yeah. <such> a dick. <laughs> so I um, 
I was, uh, my parents were married until I was uh, seven years old, and my father was a Italian Catholic. My last name, Vicenza, is obviously Italian. And so I was raised in the Catholic Church until the point at which they were divorced. I did have my, I had my first communion. Um, How did they get divorced? How did they get divorced? Oh, that. No, I, I'm not smart enough about that history to be able to spell it out, but by the 70s, Catholic. By the 70s, Catholics are getting divorced. I don't know when that shift happens, but you could you could always get divorced. It was just a question of, you know, whether you could still go to church. But my parents were not meant to be together. So that, that was ultimately the right solution. But so we were Catholic until then. My mom then uh, we live with my mom and, and we uh, move uh, further in upstate New York. And uh, she ends up uh, marry, remarrying a man whose uh, family was a pretty conservative kind of Protestantism, a uh, a faith called Reform Presbyterian. And uh, they were frankly wonderful people. Uh, and my stepfather and my mom were not terribly religious, but they were always trying to pull us in. So in, in a lot of my upbringing, um, they, uh, they, for example, would pay for me to go to church camp. And uh. I, I, to be honest, I have actually wonderful memories of it. It was like, it, I didn't grow up with a lot of money and we didn't really take a lot of vacations. And like church camp, it was like it was on a lake and there was bonfires and swimming yeah. and archery. And it was really sweet. But my one little funny, cynical memory about it is that, you know, in retrospect, they were probably, you know, relatively conservative, if not crazily so. But the counselors would typically be, I think, sort of roughly college age. And they would give these little talks that were basically like, you know, I used to be on the dark side and now I found <laughs> and now I found Jesus. Yeah. And I remember at like 10, 11, 12 years old, I was always a lot more interested in the dark side part of that conversation. You know, there'd be some like nice looking 22 year old talking about the dark side. And I would definitely be like, could you slow down on this part? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> your dark side you. talk intrigues me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so so none of that really stuck. But honestly, they were good people, and I, I had no ill will toward them. And then, you know, honestly, from that point forward, I I'm not a religious person, but I don't. And this may not feel fit, you know, quite as much with some of your audience or you folks. But I don't have a lot of contempt about it. I don't have a lot of ill will about it. I don't honestly think about it. I, I remember I had a friend once who I thought this was a very funny question is he said when people asked him if he believed in God, he said the answer to him was like our triangles red. And there, there's something I don't know quite what that means, but I think what it means to me is it, it's just not a question that I think about. It's just not a question that I my, is in my brain. I, I just think about my life and my family and, you know, getting the most out of it and trying to be a decent person. And I just don't focus a lot on faith nor the lack of one, you know, and I, do I have one? No, I don't in particular. Am I skeptical that there's some great being in the sky is pulling strings? Sure I am, but I don't burn, I don't burn a lot of calories on it, you know, and that's the person I've grown up to be. And, and it works for me. Um, I'll just mention one other thing. And, and, and Matt knows this, um, but you know, my wife's family is uh, Mormon and, and her parents were alive until recently when they passed away. And, you know, they're just good people at the end of the day, they are. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I, there, there've always been a lot of good religious people in my life. Now they're probably just good people and the religious part of it's sort of not the more important part. You can be a hell of a good religious person and you can be an asshole of an atheist. Right. And, you know, I happen to have been lucky to have stumbled across some, some pretty good religious people in my time. So, you know, for that reason, you know, when you live in Utah, like, like we do it, a lot of people have a lot of contempt 
for the Mormon church and I get it. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be a 14 year old gay kid and I wouldn't want to be, you know, a lot of things where I think it could be brutal, but my own personal experience for whatever that's worth has been relatively positive. And there's a lot of decent people in this state and, you know, so, you know, I'm a relatively tolerant person and it's just not a topic that I burn a lot of calories on. No, no, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, we're all interested. We all have our different focus on whatever interests us in society. But uh, for me, like, I wouldn't, I don't really care if people are religious or not until they start bringing it into public or forcing it into my life or trying to enact legislation or laws or rules because, not because of any coherent, you know, like, like stance that they arrived at for reason or, or through some sort of evidence or process but but just because they believe it's so and you know it's just like the 14 year old gay kids that that end up homeless on the streets in utah or you know or anybody else around this country that gets marginalized and forced out of their group because their religion does not accept them and then how that goes down into all the other people that are you know you would say like these are great these are nice people there's nothing wrong with them except that they do nothing with respect to that, you know, they're, they're basically letting stuff like that happen through inaction. You know, sometimes the moderates of religion are the <laughs> are the biggest problem, bigger problem than the crazy ones, because the crazy ones are are fairly easy to deal with. You can you can see them coming. You can you can hear what they're saying. But if you don't stand against that, you know, because of your religion, then we get, you know, we made great strides in the last few years. I'm glad to see it, like gay marriage is going through and, you know, transgender rights and, and things that, you know, abortion, you know, Planned Parenthood, it just religion is, is attacking a lot of that stuff on a daily basis. That's, that's my biggest problem with, with superstitious thinking and authoritarian thinking is that it kind of goes from your religion and it gets down into other parts of our lives that do affect us or do affect people. Yeah. One of my biggest problems with Mormons in particular is that uh, they tend to follow the, uh, it's it's ingrained in the religion. They tend to follow the orders of their superiors. And if you don't, you're out of step with the leadership of the church, which means you're out of step with God. So these really nice people, um, the rank and file who are just, you know, happy, um, nice, decent, hardworking people, can be uh, suckered into voting for these things that they never would have voted for had they not been told by the highest members of the church, right? The authorities. Vast majority of especially young Mormons that I know of don't care about homosexuality, don't care about gay marriage. But uh, if they're a voting age, they will make all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, it's traditional marriage. The church has made this statement on marriage. And so I got to vote for Proposition 8. You know, I got to uh, get rid of this ability for gays to marry each other. And that's my biggest problem is when you take something within your religion, go ahead. If you don't uh, approve of gay marriage, then don't marry any gay people, but don't tell me I can't marry any gay people or anyone outside of your religion. Don't try to impose your religious beliefs on the public at large. I think Catholics are uh, probably better about this stuff. Although there's some really crazy conservative Catholics out there. Uh, <laughs> Donahue. Yeah, Scalia. Yep. Well, he's dead now. <laughs> well, God took him home. <laughs> that's, oh, that's right. Couldn't stand being Yeah, no, I, I, 
think you guys both said it well and and we each have our own individual experiences i mean i know plenty of people we all know plenty of people in this state who had a really really tough time growing up lds and who who have a lot of really really strong reasons to have a lot of anger toward the church and i totally get it and i would never Ever tell those people like your opinion is wrong you know and the the intersection i mean we are in a really interesting moment where the intersection of like american conservatism and american kind of you know religiosity it feels like it's you know kind of merged but at the same time i think it it's it has diverged in other interesting ways as well and you know one of the interesting ways would be like you know you know there's been no questions about climate change in the in the debate like we talked about you know we never talk about anymore either abortion and it's just kind of weird, right? Like 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you were a conservative and a deeply religious person, you know, the words abortion were, if they weren't the first word out of your mouth, they were one of the first five or 10, right? And so that's kind of gone now. And, you know, I think that the gay issue is another interesting one where two years ago, if you'd said to me like, oh, big presidential race coming up, what's going to be one of the big issues? I'd assume they'd have been constantly blabbing about, you know, who could get married and we're not talking about it right was there a single question to hillary or or, uh what's his face about um about that so it's kind of weird it's like the issues you would expect to be the ones that are dividing the country politically are kind of weirdly absent from this debate right that we're not i would say you know gay marriage is yeah hasn't been a big issue i think i think conservatives realize that they've kind of lost that fight and it's not a good it's not a good fight to bring up. It was back when Bush was running for his second term. That was a great that was a great topic for them to fight against rather than bringing up what Bush had been doing in his first term. Um, but now, I mean, I think I agree that abortion is not a big topic, but it should be. I mean, because every day in this country, there's like almost a new uh, abortion bill. And, and you know, these things are, are state bills where they're trying to just basically make it as difficult as possible to get an abortion by regulating the shit out of it. This this from the party that hates government overreach and regulation, you know, whether it's the the clinic or the doctor has to have a admitting privileges or the hallways have to be a certain amount of feet wide to accommodate, you know, a gurney or, you know, the list goes on. These things are popping up all over the place. And uh, this is one of those things that this is why this election is important to me, uh, because one of the issues is if if it happens, because it's not happening right now, is is the Supreme Court justice. There's an empty seat on the Supreme Court. And whoever fills that seat is going to be influential, because at this point, they're pretty much split four on four with Kennedy being a swing vote sometimes, I think. And Roberts sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Roberts, too, sometimes. Matt, that yeah. Supreme Court might remain vacant for a long time. Right. There, uh, no, it feels like we're we're moving toward like Italian style government where <laughs> government just it just sort of doesn't work anymore. Right. And in a weird way, I actually think that's half beneficial. I feel like a, a, a half functioning American government might be better than a fully functioning American government. But that's another topic. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, McCain has come out on record, and a few other Republicans saying that they would attempt to block all of the Supreme Court nominees from Hillary Clinton. So uh, before the election, yeah. you know, it was all about having the people have a say. Once they have a say, well, we don't like what you have to say, so we're just going to continue blocking and <laughs> obstructing until we get a Republican president back. 
It's now, crazy. You, you can see scenarios where there's like six justices in three right. years. You really can. I think four of them are in their late 70s or older. So, you know, yeah. people die, it turns out, you know. And uh, yeah. Trump has said that he wants to replace people. Didn't he say uh, he'd use Antonin Scalia as his model? Uh, yeah. And Evan McMullen, the Utah guy, uh, agrees with that. He said he would uh, appoint originalists to the Supreme Court in the mold oh, of Antonin oh. Scalia and Clarence Thomas. So. Not originalism. <laughs> yeah. Bad news for black folks, going back to the three-fifths thing, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, better for all us white guys. That's what Trump yeah. wants, right? Is all the, well, he wants to make America great again. Return to that period uh, where white males had uh, all of the power. It, it is one of the weirdest things about American politics. Like, I, I'm not the most radical person, the most hard left person in the world. But the fetish that people have for this document written 240 years ago, like, of course, like, of course, they didn't understand everything. Like, they didn't have, like, cars or buildings or I mean, why? Why do we assume that people in 1780 had some amazing wisdom to craft the perfect document? That just totally baffles me. I mean, nothing else was great. They didn't have like the perfect food back then or the perfect book or the per like shit gets better. Ideas get better. Like that, that makes me nuts. We're, we're supposed to just all bow down to the altar of, you know, nine white dudes with wigs in 1787. Yeah. No, originalists are, are originalists as long as it conforms to their narrative. So, well, they make it conform to their narrative, just like people make the Bible conform to their narrative. It's a perfect document. It can't be wrong, so we'll just reinterpret it so that it's right. Yeah, one of one of the dangers I see of a of a, a conservative if if we after this election if there's still another conservative majority is we can expect more and this also goes to the Supreme Court, but uh, more religious freedom bills. Um, we just covered one. They call them religious freedom restoration acts, Matt, if you're not um uh, if you don't, if you don't keep abreast of them, this is uh, like those poor florists who we have to do yes. flowers for gay weddings. Yes, exactly. Yes. The horror. Got to restore um, the religious freedom to be bigots. Just now in Utah, if you're familiar with the FLDS Church down there in southern Utah, the Warren Jeffs uh, group in Colorado City slash. So my Hill second Hill. wife came from there. But <laughs> <laughs> <I> say what? <laughs> um, but. They a lot of people in that community are on welfare. They're on they um, use SNAP, you know, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And uh, one of those things, what one of the things they do is that they just transfer their credits to the to the grocery store, and the grocery store uses those credits to stockpile whatever benefits they can get out of it, and then they distribute food um, to people from that. Uh, which goes against the rules that you can't you can't give away your SNAP credits. You can't trade them, sell them. You know they're 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 given to you know people or families uh, individually. Um, their defense in this is that is just religion, religious freedom. Yeah, right. So and. and and to be fair, that that is the basis of a lot of the prosecutions lately, right? So that is an area where you know 
we we tend to not prosecute in this country for taking a second wife, that kind of thing. But um, the manipulation of those welfare benefits, and I think they've even, Matt, if I'm right, I think they've even brought RICO charges, which are basically kind of racketeering and conspiracy charges. Right. And so, well, you know, yeah. it's pretty clear. It, it was, in fact, an orchestrated conspiracy to maximize welfare benefits um, and, you know, to kind of use them for a broader community. And, and that's ultimately what's bringing that church down in part. Well, they had Lyle Jeffs. Um, uh, he was in home confinement. Like, I don't know what they call it, but, you know, he had to wear a GPS ankle bracelet. Um, four months ago, he, sl- he slipped that off and took off. So he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> well, that was effective. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you see him. Out of sheer curiosity, one of the our local newspaper here, the Salt Lake Tribune, is a is a really pretty darn good newspaper, and I've got a lot of friends there. But they do a great job covering the the Mormon fundamentalists, the polygamists, and in particular, a friend of mine named Nate Carlisle is kind of their lead reporter on that. And Nate just does an amazing job. But it is it is just such a bizarre place. Those two little twin cities on the Colorado Arizona border, and yeah. it's so scammy and so weird and. And it's fascinating. And so people should check out the Salt Lake Tribune and look for Nate's reporting. It seems to knock out a couple stories a week about it. And um, I can't remember today's twist, but it had to do with some concrete company, which was um, which has been using child labor. So some concrete company linked to the polygamists um, has been employing like 12 year olds, like making concrete. That sounds about right. for down there. <laughs> right. So they're yeah, running one of these into- days. I got to drive through that town and see what it's like. Yeah, I've been pretty close, but I've never done it myself. And I feel you feel a little obnoxious. Like we can all make fun of it and we should. But like yeah. driving through there and taking pictures of these poor women and children. Would feel oh, no. But I kind of yeah. want to do it. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's one of those things. I just have, I have nothing but empathy for them. That's my hey, roots. Matt. That's um, my roots, Matt. That's your, yeah, That's Chuck, why don't roots. you get down there and show them the true path? <laughs> Whatever that may be. That's <laughs> child marriage and... Uh, at least eight wives. Hey, well, let's thank Matt. Matt, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I know you have to go, um, but thanks for taking your time to get on here. You can uh, find out about Heal at their website, which is just healutah.org. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. It's just H-E-A-L, HealUtah.org. And of course, we have a, a Facebook and Twitter presence as well. And I myself host a podcast. And so if you go to HealUtah.org, uh, we do a show which is essentially about environmental issues in Utah. And so if you're interested in the way that you know environmental things play out in this great state, then check out the Heal Utah podcast. I checked it out. And I'd like to also point out that Heal is an acronym for Healthy Environmental Alliance of Utah. And my daughter thinks that's a bit of a stretch. So, <laughs> that's <was> a joke. <laughs> no worries. We'll uh, we'll we'll take it. Uh, well, thank I'm you wearing, guys. I had a great, I had a great time. I'm wearing yeah, my heel shirt right now. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Matt. Good um, thing. Appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Good night.
Um, there was I think a that, lot of <laughs> a lot of rustling going on over there. A lot. Of, I think he's doing some paper mache, oh, mostly, okay. maybe origami. Yeah, no, it'll work. 